Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Clean forgot I was going to be the reader today. Threw my routine off. <laughs> going to do today a portion was kind of large um, we're in the last third of it I'm going to remind you so we're closing we're, we're getting toward the end of Bobby Bar the book Bobby Bar most people know it as numbers but the Hebrew name Bobby Bar everyone here should know means in the wilderness they were assembled in the wilderness initially to be an army to go to war. That was part of their purpose. Not only was it to fulfill the promise of inheriting the land through the promise that God made to Abraham, but it was for the purpose of destroying the nations that lived over there in the midst of whom Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived and declared the truth of God right in front of them. And I personally believe 100% that God was trying to provoke repentance out of them. And he gave them 400 years, 430 years to repent. And uh, they didn't do it. So God assembled Israel. Their primary duty to be a priesthood but their next duty to be an army. And in our portion, in the beginning of the portion, they actually go to war against Midian, and that is the last of the battles that they have on the east side of the Yarden, the Jordan River. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that while they were in the desert for these 40 years, they fought, if I'm not mistaken, they fought nearly 60 wars and conquered 60 city-states on that side of the river. They basically cleared it of its inhabitants. If you're not familiar with the geography, that is where the nation of Jordan is today. So go look at the map and find the nation of Jordan and you'll be looking at the east side of the river, Yarden, where Israel today is only north, northwest, of that river all right so they were specifically sent to destroy the seven nations and there were 13 if I'm remembering that right there I believe the total number was 13 city-states what I'm talking about is walled cities that were meant as sort of fortresses all right that word is going to become important a little bit later Fortress, citadel, stronghold. That's what they were. And so they were sent there to destroy them. Man, woman, and child. And in the modern person's mind, that's egregious of God to want to destroy every man, woman, and child. I have to bow to his sovereignty, and I can't pretend to understand the depth of it, or why he does it. 
I know this, he is ultimately merciful, but he is also a righteous judge. And he always does what is right. And you will note that since Israel did not do that, they later paid the penalty by suffering at the hands of those very people that they were supposed to conquer, who would not have lived on. Again, I know that sounds, to the modern mind, that sounds cruel. God is sovereign. He is merciful, and he gave them every chance. Just like Peter said, God is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient, hoping that every person does teshuva, turns around and serves him, turns, turns around and embraces his compassion. All right? They're not being destroyed because they wouldn't listen to him. They're being destroyed because of their wickedness. Are you with me? They're not being destroyed because they won't repent. They're being destroyed because of their wickedness. Sin has to be destroyed. And we either destroy it by the blood of Messiah or God will handle it. Are you with me? Yes. All right. They were on their way. So where we are in our in our portion is they were on their way 30 some odd years later. And you could even back up to after they were told they were going to wander in the wilderness. They were attacked by these 60 some odd city states, these nations that all of these people who lived on this side of the river. They were attacked unprovoked. God did not the intent of God was not to destroy those nations. You realize that? Their goal was the other side of the river. But the Moabites were, I believe, the first ones. No, you can't cross through our land, right? Uh, and there were many instances like that where those kings attacked them or would not accommodate them just to pass through. They said, we won't touch your fruit. We won't touch your orchards. We'll, we'll eat our own we're bringing our own water. We want all we want to do is go through. And they wouldn't let them, and then they got destroyed. And that's what happens with the Midianites in the battle, the last battle that's in our in our portion. So God wiped those nations out as well, and because of that, that whole side of the river is now free, and it apparently was much more beautiful than it is today because that side of the river is barren when you go to Israel today. We took the tour where we rode a highway right next to, we followed the Jordan River all the way down from the, from the Golden Heights all the way down to Jericho. And uh, the right side where Israel is is green and pretty across the river on the other side is nothing but dirt but back then that dirt was apparently very verdant and green and fit for cattle to graze and Reuven God and half of the tribe of Manasseh wanted to stay there because they had a lot of cattle all right. It wasn't the half tribe of Manasseh. It was, they weren't half Jewish. It was half of the tribe of Manasseh because you see on a map Manasseh on this side, Manasseh on that side. 
issue settled, right? When they petition Moses to stay, though, Moshe scolds them. He warns them. He says, shall your brethren go to the war? And shall you sit here? Notice that it says, to the war. It's planned. It's the whole purpose of they're going to the other side. You're going to war. Shall you sit here while your brothers go to war? And therefore, will you turn away the heart of B'nai Israel from going over, the, over into the land which Yahweh has given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Now you would think that if you look at the census that was taken at the beginning of the book of Numbers, that without Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they'd still have plenty of people. Why would they fear? But guess what? Moshe is saying it only took ten men, ten men, to put fear in the heart of all Israel 40 years ago. And you're going to, you know, you half a million or more people are going to sit here? <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. He only sent 12. And only 10. Were afraid to, you know, only two weren't afraid to go. Ten of them were fearful, fearful and it put fear in the whole nation. We've seen that happen in our lives spiritually. Especially over the last two to three years, nationwide, spiritually, congregationally, fear just swallows people today. And it spreads just like that. So I've got another reminder for you about us being in warfare. Yeshua says, in the world you will have tribulation. Tzara yesh lachem. Tzara, tribulation. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But have courage. I have overcome, I have conquered the world. Amen. Now, Yeshua said that before he rose from the dead. And he didn't have a sword. And he wasn't sitting on a throne. He wasn't the king of the world. I'm not being facetious. I'm being literal. Are you with me? And he said, I have conquered the world. And then Shaul says, for the weapon which we use is not of the flesh, but of the might of Elohim, the might of God, the power, the strength of God, by which we conquer rebellious strongholds what I said about those cities casting down imaginations and every false thing that's every lie that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and capturing every thought to the obedience of Messiah and we are prepared to seek vengeance on those who are disobedient when your obedience is complete what he's talking about is at the resurrection when the army is assembled in heaven we will take vengeance on the disobedient 
That is what we are being prepared for. So really, in a sense, them crossing the Jordan after the book of Deuteronomy with Yehoshua at the helm is more of a picture of the bride coming back out of heaven and taking vengeance on the earth. Are you with me? Yes. Shaul says also this, for your war is not with flesh and blood, but with authorities and with powers, with the rulers of this world of darkness, and that's not people, and with evil spirits under the heavens. Warfare is a huge part of a life in Messiah. It's huge. You are subject to it whether you are aware of it or not. No, it's true. When Messiah was first anointed with all the power of the Ruach HaKodesh at his immersion, the very first thing that God did was, by the Ruach HaKodesh, drive him into the wilderness. Bamibar. And that is what it says. That's why I like the Aramaic so much, because it shows us exactly the link to the Torah and everything of the whole life of Yeshua evinces. He went into the wilderness first, just like Israel did. And it was on purpose. And it was to try him, to test him, test his mettle to make sure that he would be obedient. He would stay faithful to truth. And you and I, we've talked about it at length in the past. The only thing that he did to fight off Hasatan was quote the book of Deuteronomy. That was it. He was wielding the Torah against the powers of darkness. That's why we are so bent on trying to get people to look into the Torah. Yes. The whole book of Babi Bar, I believe, is symbolic. It's a roadmap of, of what we go through as believers until Messiah takes his bride. I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that he has, for 2,000 years, been culling out fake people versus people of faith. And history is oblivious to it. They see it all the time. They, you know, the world, when I say that, I'm talking specifically about unbelieving people who live in this world. They look at the history of it, and they see the hypocrisy of religious people. Yes. And they hate it. Yes. And rightfully so. But what they don't have eyes to see is the faith that was behind basically mollifying the people that are victims of religion. Are you with me? Yes. They don't see the various Pinchas type people who rose up. They don't see the Joshua's. I'm talking about the last 2,000 years. They don't see, you know, people valiantly standing against hypocrisy and dying for it for the last 2,000 years. Those people go unnamed. People that the Catholic Church killed because they wouldn't submit people that Luther killed because they wouldn't submit, the people that Calvin killed, the little girl that Calvin killed, we don't even know her name. 
John Cowan, the leader of, of most of a big chunk of the Baptist world, cut off a little girl's head. In the name of Jesus, as the spiritual leader of the city of Geneva, cut her head off because she slapped at her mother's hand walking down the street. You don't know the name of all the people he nailed to the wall because they wouldn't submit to him religiously. Those are the people that I'm talking about. We're in a wilderness. And we, those of us who truly believe, should be crying out in the wilderness, just like Yochanan Hamadbil. I don't think it's a coincidence that Yochanan, the beginning of the gospel, really? The preparer of the way was Bamidbar, crying out in the wilderness. Yes, yes. He didn't live in the city. That's right. He didn't even live like a city person. I, there's a big misunderstanding about what he would look like, but, you know, based on former movies. But, but he was different. He stood out. And he was crying out against the sin that was going on in a religious country who was proud of their religious heritage. And he was crying out against them. We right now are in, in the wilderness, Mummy Bar. And we are disparaged and marginalized by mainstream religion. Anybody? You ever felt it? At times, those of us who walk the truth suffer like the man on the road to Yerejo. Or the man in, yeah, he was on the way to Jericho, wasn't he? There are times also that we, who are religious people, are tested to find out whether or not we're like the Samaritan or the religious people in how we treat the fallen person. And most religious people treat the fallen person not like the Samaritan. But like the religious people. Look at him. It's his own fault. You're there because you're wicked. You're there because you're not me. That's how people think. There are wild things in the wilderness and there are bandits in the wilderness. That's why that guy in the parable, I don't think it was a parable to be honest. I think that's one thing that Yeshua, I think it actually happened. And that whoever, and some of the people that walked by the guy lying there on the road were the ones that actually passed the guy. I think it was real. I did. Biggest problem that people of faith have, people of real faith have, is religious people. You realize that? Most of the time, I don't have any issues with unbelieving people. Most of the time. Right. It's people of faith that gnash their teeth at me, that growl, that swipe, that strike at, verbally or otherwise. All people of faith are in danger of becoming evil ones doing the work of Hasatan. And you have seen it happen. Have you not? 
people of faith became the tool of Hasatan to do his work. We reason I'm visiting this again is because of our portion. And it, we, we roll up on this every three years because we read the third portion every three years. And I try to remind the body of Messiah that we are meant to do warfare for one another and not against one another. Amen. That's where our warfare is supposed to be. We're not supposed to be fighting one another. I think it was Yaakov, James, that said, or no, it was Yochanan. Why is there fighting and quarreling among you? I think it's 1 John 4. Is it not because the selfish desires that burn inside of you? It's covetousness over something. That's why people turn on people. And in the religious community, it's usually religious authority that they want. That's what they're fighting for. And in our portion, Moshe said, Shall your brethren go to the war, and shall you sit here? Yeshua warns us about religious pride that causes people to turn on each other. He gives us abundant examples of it. In Matthew 21, he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a bandit's cave. That's a wilderness environment. Yeshua was standing in this beautiful temple that was ordained by God to bring Israel together and cause them to be in his presence, to call on his name, to put the, the, the aroma of those beautiful sacrifices wafting through the land so that everybody passing by could smell it and hear their worship. And they turned it into a wilderness, yeah. a bandit's cave where thieves hide out. What was he talking about? He was talking about religious people sitting in a religious context making money off of religious, innocent religious people who just wanted to worship. They wanted their money. In our portion, Yeshua says over and over and over and over and over again, Woe to you, so Freeman Perushim, scribes and Pharisees, Book writers and preachers. Book writers and rabbis. He was talking to the religious leadership of the day. And over and over and over again, he said, Oi, Lecha, woe to you. You hypocrites. And we looked at that, I think, I don't know if it was in this chapter, but on Thursday night we looked at, at that word. Amidei Hanim. Stander up of faces. Putting up two faces. That's what hypocrisy is. You got the one that you put in front of people and the one that you really are. Those so Freeman Perushim are the fathers of today's rabbis, but they are the rabbis are not the only ones who are guilty of religious hypocrisy. Most people in religious leadership, in my opinion, are guilty of religious hypocrisy, especially those who walk around in fine clothes and drive beautiful automobiles and have a have a train going with them everywhere they go. And they, and and you know they 
taking money from people who have no money to give. And Yeshua describes their religious behavior. He says, you consume the houses of widows. As soon as I put that in my notes today, I remember my great-grandmother who was a, a faithful, she played piano at the Baptist church over in Saratoga, Texas. I don't know for how long, but for years and years and years. And she broke her hip when she was in her 60s, late 60s or early 70s and couldn't go anymore. Couldn't drive. Didn't even have a car by that time because she, you know, it became futile. She couldn't get in and drive it. And, you know, she was a widow. Just like this said, you consume the houses of widows. And Oral Roberts getting into her living room by television and telling her to send him money. Uh, and my dad looks at her checkbook and finds out how much money she's been sending to him. Raking her over the coals and she's in there in there eating a piece of toast for breakfast every morning. You know? Those are the kinds of things that people do. He also tells him you traverse sea and land to make one proselyte. When he becomes one, you make him the son of Gehinom twice more than yourself. So you go, yeah, you're going and, and converting people, you're bringing people into faith, but you're turning them into a hellion just like you were worse. That's literally what he's saying. <laughs> Gain on. Symbolic place of damnation. Yeshua said that. He called the rabbis. Sons of Gaino. He goes on and says, For you take tenth parts. That's a tithe. Hello. One of the biggest things you hear from religious people. On mint, dill, and cumin. And you have overlooked the more important matters of the Torah, such as justice, compassion, and absolute trust. Mint, dill, and cumin. If I'm not mistaken, are things that you can grow in your windowsill. Yeah. Am I not right? Yeah. You grow them in your windowsill. And the rabbis are worried about, you got to make sure you pay a tenth part on that. <laughs> Look how much they're worried about people giving of their increase. Even the spices you put on your food, they want it. And you might think, well, people don't do that today. Oh, yes, they do. I've heard them say things like, give all that you can. Give out of your need. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Give out of your need. It's hypocrisy. Yeshua tells him, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish and inside you're full of extortion and that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. Yes. And from within you are full of iniquity and hypocrisy. <clears throat> and we fight that. And people of faith fight the tendency to go there. That's what faith without the word of God, the truth of the word of God, and the rule of the Kodesh, that's what it gets you. It turns you into that. And I'm praying that none of us ever turn into that. And sadly, it's happened in the past to us. 
where people have turned into that. Our fight is not earthly. We do not fight with people. That's why when things happened, Melly and I didn't we didn't engage people. Matter of fact, we did just the opposite. We disconnected from everybody. Everybody. To find out who really is truth. We weren't at war with the people. We were at war with spirits. We are not at war with government. We are not at war with bosses, with policemen, with we're not at war with homosexual people. We're not at war with transgender people. We're not at war with drunks or drugs and alcohol itself. That's not our war. We're not at war with robbers and thieves. We're not at war with those religious people. Paul says, leave them alone. Let them preach because in spite of their sick motives, the gospel is declared. They can't help but declare the gospel because they have to use the Bible to do, to do their deceiving. Right? We're not at war with them, the people that are doing these things. We're at war with the spirits that are behind them, causing them to do it. And that, my, my friends, is a lot of people. Entities. Spirits. One third of heaven cast out. God compares the messengers of heaven to the stars. Hello, have you ever tried to count just one sector of stars? One third of the heavens is who we're fighting. That's why sometimes it feels overwhelming. We're not at war even with fake believers. To be honest, I knew in our past some of those who were fake among us. And I tolerated them because I wasn't at war with them. I was at war with the reason they were fake. Are you with me? Yeah. Hoping, just like God, I think, he, he him more than me, that they come to repentance. We didn't take vengeance, the two of us. We could have. <laughs> there were things we could have done, and we would have won. I promise you, we would have we would have hurt people if we had if we had said things that we knew. We could have hurt people. That wasn't our goal. That wasn't our desire, and we understood this is not them. This is darkness, and it was heavy. All of those behaviors, the governments, cops, the, the different sins that people think they're at war with, those behaviors are influenced by the spirits that are in the heavenly realm. And they drive people. They're controlled. Those spirits are controlled by the God of this world, which is the chief fallen archangel. Most people call him Hasatan. Those are strongholds. In particular, I'm talking about sexual sin, 
whatever it is, identity sin that is just sweeping the nation right now, where people are trying to become something that God did not make them to be. Drugs, alcohol, thievery of any kind, be it political, um, you know, white-collar crime, or just robbing a bank. You know, all of those things are things that people do even though they know they should not do them. Abortion. That is a sin that I believe deep down in their heart they know they shouldn't do it. They do it anyway. And it's because of those spiritual principalities that we are at war with. All of that stands against the knowledge of God. The word of God is very clear. You shall not murder me. The word of God is very clear. I formed you in your mother's womb. The word of God is very clear. Man shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is disgusting. The word of God is very clear on those things. Those things exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It's not saying that they exalt themselves against the knowledge that God exists because the scriptures tell us that even Hasatan believes and fears God. Even the devil does. And I know that all human beings do. Even if they say they don't, they're full of crap. They believe in God and they fear him. They just don't want to admit it. The knowledge that is talking about is his ways, the nature of God, which is embodied in one person, Yeshua the Messiah. Anything that exalts itself against that, because Yeshua demonstrated that he knows the word of God better than anybody. He taught the teachers when he was 12. We are supposed to fight that. We are supposed to conquer rebellious strongholds, cast down imaginations, any lying thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And before Shoal wrote all of that, he said, For though we do walk about in flesh, yet we do not minister from the flesh. For the weapon which we use, and it is singular, I double checked that, I had to change it. Double checked that this morning. I thought I was reading it in Hebrew and I thought the weapon which we use is not of the flesh, but of the might of Elohim by which we conquer rebellious strongholds, and that is the Spirit of God. And the Word of God is the what is it called? Swordsman? What's the hilt, right? Isn't that the hilt? The Word of God is the hilt on the sword. Sword itself is the ruler. Printed word is the hilt of it. Are you with me? You can't have one without the other. If you're reading the Bible without Yeshua, you're just reading a Bible. You're just reading a book. By which we we conquer rebellious strongholds. Mivtsarim Kashim. 
rebellious strongholds. Let's say it slowly. Miv Tsarim Kashim. Tsarim. Miv Karim. Stronghold. It's got the word Tsar right in the big middle of it. Are you with me? If you look at that word in the little bitty letters and pairs of letters, you can see a house of the sea of tribulation. Stronghold. Kashim means difficult. It is difficult what we as a body are fighting spiritually, and I hope everyone in here is fighting with us. And I can at least speak for myself and my wife and Joe and a handful of people that I know who are going to battle for this congregation, for the people in here. We're seeing things. I'm not I haven't been granted permission to tell the glorious thing that happened this week. But something glorious, an answer to prayers that I know Melanie and I are praying. As soon as I know it, it's okay to say, I'll say it. But I don't have that permission yet. We are tearing down strongholds. Amen. We are. It just is it's work. I just told you how many spirits are out there that we're fighting against, and look around you. How many people are in here? Forty? We're up against a masses of spiritual forces in dark places. Is it any wonder that we sometimes feel like we're not getting anywhere? I, I kind of feel like I can't remember the name of the movie now. Tom Cruise in the edge of tomorrow where you wake up and all of a sudden you're just surrounded by these reptilian beings, you know, just every single day. <laughs> Spiritually. People confuse Yeshua's words. And that's why the body of Messiah is suffering so much. It's because there are people who are in the business of religion for the business of religion. And they, they, they confuse the, the people so that they can keep the money flowing in. That's why I'm so reluctant to do even what little bit we're doing, you know, about getting help financially for this little body. You know, it, that scares me. I don't want to be caught up in it. You know? Because some people are in it for the business of religion. And they twist the word of God in order to imprison people to them. And they confuse people as a result. I personally believe that Yeshua spoke very plainly. The Torah is very plain. It's written in Hebrew, translated through six or seven languages most of the time to get to people who are reading it. It's one of the reasons I did what I did was try to get, move it back as close as we can in English to the original, but also to put the, the original right beside it and teach people to read the original. Or at least to have a working knowledge of it so they can't be deceived. Yeshua spoke on the Peshat level. Very plain and simply. He was very forthright. Didn't beat around the bush. We are supposed to cast down imaginations and 
things that exalt themselves against da'ata Elohim, knowledge of God. One of the things that is most confusing is part of our portion. He said to them, the Sofrim and Perashim, this is in Matai, Matthew 23. The Sofrim and Perashim sit on Kisei Moshe, the seat of Moses, right where I'm sitting right now. But in an ancient synagogue, the guy that sat in the, the big stone chair in the synagogue, which was called the seat of Moses, was the guy who read from the Torah. That's all he did. He didn't speak like I'm speaking. The people who commented were what Yeshua was doing. Yeshua was handed not the Torah, he was handed the Isaiah scroll. Yeshua was the Olah, the Olay, for reading the Haftarah portion. Back in that day, they didn't do drashes like we do in this setting. They read the Torah, the guy that read the Olah could comment on it, and that's exactly what Yeshua did. And they had six or seven readers of, of the Olah, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've studied it. They'd have more than one person come up to read the Haftarah. And they could comment on it. We can't allow it because we don't know what people are, what doctrines people are carrying around in their head. <laughs> you know, we're, we're 2,000 years removed from, from sound understanding of just the basic scriptures. Therefore, whatever they tell you, the guy sitting in the chair, whatever he tells you to do, do it. But do not do according to his works, because that same guy would get up and teach you during the week. Tithe on mint, dill, and cumin. That just because it's a tiny crop, you've got to bring it in here. Wash your hands before you eat. Uh, do not eat a cheeseburger. Separate meat and dairy. All right, they're inventing all these man-made rules and laws and feasts that do not come from God. That's what they were doing. That's what Yeshua is talking about. Do what they say when they sit in that seat. When they're reading Moses, do what Moses said because that's what he's talking about. Is everybody clear on that? Yes. What they do, don't be like them. They say and they do not. They read the Torah. They don't do what it says. They bind heavy burdens and put them on men's shoulders. Do you think, honestly, that the Pharisees were actually binding up physical things and putting them? No. Yeshua is talking about their doctrines. They make a burden out of the Shabbat. They do. They do their things. They do what they do just to be seen by men. They make grandiose prayers. They lengthen the tehillah of their robes. They wore theirs all the time. And they wore big fancy robes. They, the, the Pharisees are very similar to the TV evangelists of today. Big fine hairdos and silk suits. And, you know, a lot of times they'll put on a, some nod to a religious garment, you know, a, a ascot, a bib, a collar, a, a jacket with a shield on it or whatever. To be seen by men. They like the chief places at the feast and the front seats in the vacant essence. To be called by men rabbi. 
father, or bishop, or apostle. It's not different. It's not different. Just because you hold an office, which those are bogus offices that they made up. Just because you hold that office, even if it were real, doesn't mean that you need to be called by that. You have a name. They were doing things that were exalting against the knowledge of God. Would you agree? We have to guard ourselves against things like that. We must pray in the power of his ruach against such doctrine. The imaginations of this world. People are imagining that little, you know, little boys and men are imagining that they're girls. Imagining girls imagining that they're boys, imagining that they're cats. I saw someone imagining a grown woman wearing a diaper because she identifies as a baby. <laughs> it's disheartening to live in this world right now, isn't it? Yes. It's disheartening. It can be. Sometimes it's, it's disheartening to pray so long for people we love and not see the result of it. Yes. That's hard. Yes. It is hard. And all of us, how many of you are going through that right now? You're praying for people and you just don't see anything happening. Almost 100%. It's hard. And sometimes we don't speak God's word because we're so disheartened. Sometimes we don't take the position we should take because we are disheartened. Anybody willing to think about that? Whether or not you're there or have been there? You therefore gird up your loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed at them. Behold, I have made you this day a fortified city. Just because we fight against principalities and powers and rulers in the heavenly places, guess what? So are we. What is inside of us is more powerful than any devil out there. What is inside of us is more powerful than any stronghold out there. We just have to start believing it. Yes. We have to start believing it. I really want us as a body meditating on the fact that those principalities that we talked, those strongholds that we talked about, the sins that so easily beset the people of God, because most of the people you're praying for have heard of God or believed in God, have confessed God, right? Yet their sin is standing in the way. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be a sexual 
perversion. It might be greed. It might be any of those things. And yes, Hasatan is bombarding their minds with it. People who are addicted to something can't take their mind off of it. Right? That's a, that is a principality and a power. And I wish people who struggle would just turn off the TV. Because that's provoking a lot of what they're dealing with. And the Facebook media is provoking, perpetuating that. I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of you. I find that interesting that Jeremiah was, was being told this in regard to the religious people of Israel. The king was the head of the religious cult of Israel. Are you with me? And I say that not in a bad way. The belief system of Israel, the king was the head of it. The priests, against the priests thereof. Hello, religious leaders. They shall fight against you. They shall not prevail against you, for I am with you. And what I, the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes what we are fighting is the doctrines that people have been fed for the last two thousand years. And that's that's what I that's why I'm pointing back to this. Are you with me? We fight demonic doctrine. That's our that's I believe that's our biggest challenge. Not only religious doctrine, but now, over the last 150 years, educational doctrine. Mind-bending junk that's been pushed on in, in the educational institutions. Gird up your loins, he said. If you don't remember that, I think I've taught this once before at least. Men back in the day that this was written to, typically out in the field wearing a tunic, you didn't wear blue jeans like we do. Right. And, and and if things if if a if an army came over the hill, gird up your loins meant protect your junk, stand up and tie your stuff, right. you know, and go to war. You don't need a you don't need a, a, a loose garment getting caught, you know. Are you with me? Yes. <laughs> You're going to war. That's what God was telling Jeremiah. You've got to go to war, buddy. Gird up your loins. He wasn't Jeremiah didn't even there wasn't a bunch of sword bearing men heading at him when God said this. He was talking spiritually. Put yourself in a mindset of warfare. Plant your feet. Get your weapon in your hand and go. Next thing he said was, Arise. Shall your brethren go to war and you sit there? That's a similar concept to what Shaul Paul said in Galatians 6 2 bear one another's burdens and so confirm the Torah of the Messiah. Confirm it by bearing one another's burdens. 
That means pray for one another's faith. Do you know the guy that, that told Yeshua, I believe, but help my un unbelief? Yeah. That's the way you know it. I believe what it says in the, in the Hebrew is, help my weak faith. I have faith, but it's weak. Help it. Pray that for each other. Pray for one another's families. Melanie and I are more committed to that than we've ever been. For your families. Pray for one another's needs, whatever they are. And finally, this is what Paul told Timothy. Fight the good fight. They were not. Lay hold upon Hayeolam. Grab hold of eternal life. This idea that you've got it and you're done and your ticket is punched and all you got to do is ride the train. You'd be surprised when that train hits the station. Lay hold upon eternal life to which you are called. That's right now. Having made a true profession before many witnesses, I charge you in the presence of Elohim, the giver of life to all and before Yeshua Mashiach, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilatos, that you obey this charge without spot and without stain until the appearing of Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach. What charge to put on to fight the good fight? So if, if I'm saying anything to you guys, Hazak Matz. We're almost there. Next week we will say that. But it's just we have got to be strong and resolute. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with Shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.